0: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful
1: new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee.
0: Hi, everyone, I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. Today, part two of our long COVID deep dive. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you should start there. It's right there in your feed. In part one, we left off with the stories of Shamir L. Smith and Deepa Singh, two long COVID patients whose symptoms and experiences in their own bodies were being dismissed by doctors and hospital staff. I often was told that I wasn't well in my head.
2: I was too anxious. I was starting to believe that the providers who were telling me it was psychosomatic and it was anxiety-driven. I I truly felt
0: like, okay, well, I'm having a mental break. Unfortunately, these experiences are not unique. I think it's been an absolute nightmare for most people. Diana Barrett is the founder of Survivor Corps, a grassroots COVID patient advocacy group that has shifted its focus to long COVID. Survivor Corps has about 180,000 members, and Diana says she's heard these stories time and time again. It became, in just like other chronic
3: diseases, almost a modern-day diagnosis of female hysteria, where patients were going to doctors and being gaslit and being told that they had anxiety when they were actually having tachycardia, which needs a cardiologist, not a psychologist. And yes, people are anxious. I'm sorry. If you're not anxious in today's day and age, then you're not paying attention. But this isn't just anxiety. This is, you know, debilitating physical distress. Most people think that they are losing their minds. They might have survived, but they are dying a slow death.
4: People come in good faith to try to seek help. They encounter a healthcare system that's ill prepared to help them.
0: Again, Dr. Harlan Crumholtz, a Yale cardiologist and long COVID researcher.
4: Without objective measures of the illness, it becomes easy for professionals to dismiss them and to doubt even their existence beyond in someone's mind. And when I say that is it's sort of a lack of respect for what people tell us. It's sort of a, a Skepticism about people who are reporting these kind of symptoms. So many of these people, when they interact with the healthcare system, are seeing people who are who are skeptical that this is real. It's real, but we don't understand what it is. And when when things don't meet the patterns that we're used to seeing, we're trained as pattern recognition professionals as as doctors. I mean that's how we diagnose. What's this pattern? And we're bringing together multiple pieces of information: what you're telling us, what the lab tests are saying. But when we lack the lab tests, we lack imaging tests, we lack other measures of, of what's going on, then we're left with what people are telling us. And right now, with the healthcare system, its reaction to that is to be dismissive largely. And so we need to fight against that impulse and we need to figure out quickly what can we do to really understand what's going on. We have to trust people, we have to listen to them intently, and we have to try to appreciate what it is that they're going through and, and have uh, it be a call to action for us, not just something to dismiss because there, there is a lot of suffering.
5: Thankfully for me last year, May 20th, 2021, um, which was uh, also ironically my birthday,
0: um, I got a wonderful chance, a marvelous chance that I don't take for granted. Shamir struggled to find help for more than a year, but her persistence eventually paid off. And I met a wonderful doctor, Lauren uh, Ababio, um, who changed
5: my life. Uh, She is um, a black woman, a young black woman who's just starting out her medical uh, career. And um, she was the very first doctor that I met who said, Shamir, I believe you. And um, I still get emotional about it today because it it meant so much for me. Um, and so much to me, Um, not only did it mean that I was going to be able to develop a healthy relationship um, with, a, with a doctor, but it, it meant that she was actually taking notes. I could see her as she was typing, listening to me, um, typing notes about my condition. She was the very first doctor who wrote a letter, a very uh, sound letter uh, to, to address to my, my employer, to let them know that I was simply unable to work and here were the reasons why. I believe that her affirming me and validating my condition is also the reason why I luckily have been able to um, be accepted. My claims for disability have been able to be accepted had I not met her, had I not fought so hard to reach her and to get a doctor like her, had I not fired all of the other doctors that I had to get to her, I may not be able to celebrate that today. That's a a huge win to me um, after experiencing such, such devastation
2: in my life. I fell ill in February, 2020, and it wasn't until August, 2020, through telemedicine that I found a provider
0: who introduced me to the term long hauler. Again, Deepa was just 28 years old when she started seeking answers for her long COVID symptoms. She listened to my symptoms.
2: She ordered panels of tests. And I had a follow-up appointment with her to go over the results. Listening to the symptoms I was having, looking at the blood work. Uh, and the antibody result, and also comparing this to what she was seeing in other patients. She introduced me to this term, long hauler, and asked if I'd heard of it before. I hadn't. She explained that some folks were experiencing lingering problems from their COVID infection, and I had an inkling already that's what was happening, but it was good to finally feel like for the first time that year, I wasn't losing my mind. When that doctor, I think she's located in Florida, <laughs> who met with me through an app on my phone, introduced me to long Collar, I felt like metaphorically, of course, not literally, metaphorically, I could breathe again. My medical journey and experiences are unacceptable. I have gotten more acknowledgement and validation from providers now than I did two years ago, but nowhere near where it should be. You shouldn't walk out with absolutely no answers, in tears, feeling more frustrated like you've hit yet another dead end. I still walk into some provider appointments and walk back out with that experience. On the other hand, I have had a couple of appointments recently where at the very least provider acknowledged, I know what long COVID is and I'm so sorry you're dealing with that. So validation, that's the progress that I've made in two years. And if if we're calling that progress, I think that indicates much larger problems at hand. The very last time I was turned away
5: from the hospital, I said to myself, if this is happening to me, this type of dismissal, it's happening to my students. Students who I know live in nuclear houses and families. Students who are always around their grandparents, their aunties, their cousins. Students who can't articulate their symptoms or why they feel like that. And I did not want them to to face what I faced. So I thought to myself, every day, if I wasn't going to die, then that must mean that I'm supposed to do something to help myself and someone else live. And I just slowly started to email anybody who would listen. I started to email uh, Johns Hopkins Patient Engagement Services. I emailed City Council men and women in Baltimore City. I uh, emailed state delegates. I even emailed doctors who at Hopkins were writing uh, journals and writing uh, uh, small articles about COVID because I wanted to know um, what I could do to help treat myself and pass that
0: information on to other people. While Shamir is still unable to return to the classroom to teach full time, she has transformed her experience into patient advocacy. She's a member of multiple long COVID groups and is on the board of Body Politic, a COVID-19 support collective. She offers advice to fellow long COVID patients and is often invited to speak on their behalf.
5: I just wanna make sure that I save myself and I wanna make sure I save those other people in my community. And when I say other people, I mean other black people who are poor, who are disenfranchised, who don't have the same healthcare access and who don't have the same financial means as other people. I testified before Congress on Thursday, April 28th, 2021. And the purpose of that congressional hearing was to talk to researchers and doctors about COVID, but to also hear about the patient experience. It's been the generosity of my family and my friends and those who support my advocacy that I was even able to live for the past two years. And so I wanted Congress to know how serious I was about my station in life. I was very moved by the fact that many of those congressional leaders admitted that they too knew people who experienced and were experiencing long COVID. However, I've been very disappointed nearly a year later because there hasn't been much uh, movement or action on the behalf of long COVID patients. We acknowledged it and then we left it. There are not very many people in power who are standing up for us. What I have seen and what I will continue to champion is the fact that smaller groups, smaller organizations, grassroots organizations have been at the helm of informing us about long COVID. Body politic alone has informed so many people with their platform. It's been groups like ME Action, which is a group about, you know, um, ME and chronic fatigue syndrome and um, other uh, chronic illness groups that have helped to inform long COVID patients. It hasn't been many politicians. It hasn't been our president. It hasn't been the people that we entrust with that kind of power, it's been the smaller groups, the, the every man, the average woman, the average man that has reached out their hands to help us. And so that's who have led us down this road of information. It wasn't the people in
0: power. When we come back, hey, hey Katie, Tim came here. I tracked down some of those people in power. don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor
1: at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
6: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I
7: thought in that moment, oh my God,
0: Again, our long COVID cohort, Deepa Singh, Rebecca Hogan, Liza Fisher, Jack Guest, Shamir L. Smith, and Janine Hayes. As far as what
2: the long COVID community needs from the powers that be, and this is my opinion, first, we need financial support. I've lost
8: everything. We've gone through our savings. We've whittled away everything. I used a lot of that GoFundMe money to pay for COBRA. That money has run out.
7: Is this a forever thing? How long am I going to have the income that supports that?
5: As a teacher, I would save ten to $20,000 a year, and I lost all of that in the first couple of months of my illness.
2: Second is job protection. You know, we're, we're still people. We. If we had jobs previously, we need to know that our jobs will still be available to us when we return.
7: I worked um, at one of the top management consulting firms. I was, I was, um, you know, an associate partner there. I never thought I'd be out more than two weeks, um, and now, you know, we're going on thirteen months.
5: And I have not stepped foot in my classroom for almost two years. I went to nursing school to help other people, but also to give
6: my family a different life. Financial security. There was a structure.
2: It was good. It was good. And it was all snatched from us. Third is communication. Now, we we're seeing these big vaccine campaigns. We know that communication at a large scale can be set up and delivered upon quickly and efficiently. Why are we not talking about long COVID at that same level? That is completely unacceptable in putting people in harm's way. There, are people at a broad scale don't know about long COVID. They don't, or if they have heard of it, they don't know exactly how detrimental it can be. If the information isn't out
5: there, then you don't know. And you're like lost in this, this situation. There is not enough information, data, statistics that capture the amount of BIPOC women and families who have had long COVID, who are experiencing it now. How can I go anywhere to inform anybody in my community about what to look for, how to take care of themselves, mental health resources, long COVID clinics, if we don't know who's being affected? It's like being a teacher with no lesson plan. If I have no lesson plan, I can't teach. And everybody here in this community, just like in other communities, deserve the right to have a COVID and a long COVID lesson plan. We don't think about
6: how difficult to navigate the healthcare system is. Like, I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse with a genius IQ. And I'm so I'm struggling. I'm dying. I'm struggling so hard to navigate the healthcare system. And I don't even know what I'm struggling with because, like, I've got all these appointments and all these doctors. Nothing's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. It's like I'm the middleman. I'm the one in the middle, coordinating it all. What's the point of that? If I need 14 specialists, am I really capable of being the middleman? Oh. No.
2: This whole long COVID journey has exposed some rather ugly truths about our medical system for folks who have chronic conditions and have suffered for decades, in some cases, without attention, without acknowledgement. Now we're dealing with something on a tremendously large scale. I hope someone is taking note that the amount of people being affected by this will have unforeseen circumstances unless something is done. Help the people that are sick. We are people who contribute to helping things run. We are people with lives, with families. Help us get better. That is why these systems were supposedly in place, to protect the people, so protect the people.
0: This community deserves some answers, so I started calling elected officials to convey some of their urgent needs.
9: Katie,
0: how are you? I'm good. Congressman Don Beyer, a Democrat from my home state of Virginia, was the first to bring long COVID legislation to Congress. This was back in December of 2020. He then reintroduced the same bill in April of 2021. What motivated you to take the lead on this issue?
9: We were getting lots of feedback from people that I represent in Northern Virginia. And we wanted to pay attention to it, you know, because um, long COVID is so fuzzy. I mean, 200 different symptoms, really difficult to diagnose, but very real. It, it reminded me a little bit about where we were with Lyme disease uh, 20 years ago, where you know, people say, well, it's in your head. Um, but we know this isn't in your head. And it was affecting people in really bad ways, like they were getting turned down for disability insurance. Um, but at the same time, they couldn't really go to work. So then the Employment Commission would say, well, you don't qualify for unemployment. So people were getting in really bad uh, economic situations. And, and we thought this is also at a time when the country said divided, this would not should not be a partisan issue. The Congressman Jack Bergman, who's a Republican from Michigan, has been my partner on most of these things, uh, which is great. Because that way we can go forward together.
0: I was going to say, I think a lot of people in the COVID, long COVID community are really frustrated because they feel like, you know, where's our government? Why don't people care? And, you know, the symptoms can be just terribly debilitating. And I know that the Long Haulers Act, your bill, hasn't really made any progress for almost a year. So a lot of people are out there saying, what the heck is going on? Where is Congress I
9: know, and and part of it is, I mean, it, it's sad, but the COVID has greatly restricted our ability to get things done. Um, we had the State of the Union address, and and almost everybody was there without a mask because of the new CDC guidelines. So I'm hoping we'll be able to work much longer or harder weeks and get more things done. Uh, and this clearly needs to be at the at the top of the list.
0: Senator Kane introduced a new long COVID bill to Congress. It's called the Comprehensive Access to Resources and Education for Long COVID Act. It's legislation designed to help people living with long-term COVID symptoms. Have you had a chance to review this and and any thoughts on that?
9: Yeah, I think it's a great piece of legislation. And what what Senator Kane's legislation does is build on the different iterations of the last two years.
0: The very morning I interviewed Congressman Beyer, Senator Tim Kaine, who himself continues to experience long COVID symptoms, introduced the CARE Long COVID Act to Congress. Could this be the boost of adrenaline the long COVID cause needs to get federal help? Is it even enough? Hey, hey Katie, Tim Kaine here. Hey, Tim Kaine here. How are you? I talked with Senator Kaine to find out Tell us a little bit about the Care Long COVID Act and how it's going to help these, you know, literally millions of people who are experiencing this.
10: Katie, the, the first bit of news, that's good news, is we got a little bit of a head start in, it, in the American Rescue Plan that we passed um, a year ago in Congress because we put funding into that bill for the NIH to do research on long COVID. So they've they've started the research. But what the what the CARES bill would do, and I want to thank my principal House sponsor is Don Beyer of Northern Virginia, and my co-sponsors in the Senate are Tammy Duckworth and Ed Markey, Massachusetts and Illinois. What we will do is basically four things with this bill. First, we will try to really have a good federal database to catalog the kinds of symptoms and complaints that people have. Um, our public, data, public health data infrastructure in this country was sort of weak before COVID. That actually hurt us in dealing with COVID, we want to do a very good job of gathering the data about patient experiences. That's number one. Number two, with that data and with other studies that that hospital Sloan, uh, Sloan Kettering in New York is doing this and others are too, um, we, we want to uh, basically do a deep research into causes and cures. And then the last piece of the bill, sort of the third piece, is once we catalog the the concerns and complaints and we do research into the causes and cures, how can we get that information out to patients? And how can we get that information out to providers? Because again, we don't want somebody who is experiencing this to go in to a provider and be told, oh, well, you know, um, it might be anxiety, it might be depression, it's been a tough time, a lot of people are dealing with tough issues. We, we really wanna communicate all these best practices and the research to the provider community And also the patients, the more information, maybe you reduce the uncertainty a little bit, and that might help people deal with this.
0: You know, if I was experiencing severe, long COVID symptoms, I might listen to this and want to pull my hair out because it sounds like we need to study and really gather data, et cetera, et cetera. And I might be saying, hey, I love you, Senator Kane, but I need relief now. And this hasn't even happened, this bill hasn't passed. And, you know, I'm desperate. So um, are there more immediate things that can be done? A lot of the patients we talked to said they really need financial help and some kind of job security. And I don't know whether there's uh, something we could do with the Disabilities Act that might help people who are in this situation, but they have these mounting medical bills and they, they have to live and they're, they're really in dire straits. And, you know, I'm not even one of them, but I feel for them so much because what you're describing sounds like it will be a long time coming with all due respect and even appreciating your, the, the attention you're paying to the issue.
10: Yeah, well, Katie, no, I think that's a fair concern. Even the dollars that we allocated a year ago to research, you don't necessarily get an answer on a research question just like that. You know, you really have to do it and do it right in order to come up with answers. But there are some there are some immediate term things that I do think are important. One is um, the Biden administration has already put out some guidance about long COVID as being the kind of condition that needs to be protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. So, for example, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act would suggest that in an employment setting, an employer should offer you accommodations if you have health related issues. Folks who have long COVID need to be given accommodations at, at the workplace. And again, we may need to communicate that, that that out to employers and to employees about the way to ask for those kinds of accommodations. But there is a legal protection right now that I think would provide some help. And then the second thing is on the on the medical side, even as we're doing big picture research, there there are treatments for some of the long COVID conditions. So for example, somebody would hear me describe what I'm going through and would say, well, that's a neuropathy. And, and often a peripheral neuropathy, tingling in the fingers and toes, that's not that unusual. It comes with, follows diabetes, it follows other things. There are treatments for some of these conditions already that could probably be um, adapted to my circumstance. Now, somebody with a cardiac, a racing heart rate or an irregular heart, heart rate you know, that's, there's going to be a different treatment. But but because um, after effects of viruses have been known before, other viruses, we might be able to uh, adapt some of those treatments for people's conditions right now. And that's the kind of thing where you know I'm not going to practice medicine, especially as a non-doctor, in a Zoom call with you. But as people could go on and say, I had COVID, here are the symptoms. OK, even separate apart from COVID, the symptoms you described, there are treatments for some of those symptoms. And hopefully those might provide some relief to people.
0: And what about sort of the the financial assistance for people who have lost their jobs and have mounting medical bills? What's being done to address that? And is the government, does the government have a responsibility in that arena?
10: Well, Katie, we ultimately do, because look, it's not inconceivable that um, somebody with long COVID symptoms might eventually qualify for social security disability, where there would be a financial assistance for them. In fact, I I haven't done the research on this, but I'm sure, I am absolutely sure that there's already Americans who have been filing and going through the disability process because of their own COVID and the after effect. Is there more that can be done on, on helping people deal with the financial burden? I'm sure there is. The bill that I introduced, the CARES bill, is more about the research and therapies and information than that. But look, I, this is going to have a huge effect on our healthcare system going forward. I, I often say that.
0: And the labor force, by the way.
10: Ab- absolutely. In a time when the unemployment rate's already really low and employers are like, where do I find a workforce? Um, I, I've been giving this talk where I say there will be a day when President Biden will say the national emergency is over and COVID is in the rearview mirror. But the two pieces that won't go away are long COVID. And the mental health aspects of an American public that's seen, it's almost a million people have died already. I mean, it, the, the death toll to COVID is already over 950,000. And then you add the illness and job loss and businesses closed. You stack all that on top of it. And then there's this mental health aspect to COVID that's gonna affect us long after COVID is in the rearview mirror. Both of those things, the, the, the physical aspects of long COVID and the mental health consequences of the last two years are going to demand innovation and resources from all levels of government.
0: Are you keeping in mind this um, prominent issue that I think surfaced and really in a critical way in the last couple of years about racial disparities and equities in our healthcare system? I know that. The racism described by the patients we interviewed for this podcast caused severe delays in accessing care, severe delays in accessing disability insurance. So, um, are you keeping these things front and center? The institutional and, and systematic racism that exists in our healthcare system as you kind of craft this bill and think about what's going to be in it?
10: Um, the answer is yes, Katie, and we need to. I mean, as you know, the who has, who has uh, disproportionately suffered from COVID? The people who gotten COVID have been disproportionately Latino and African American. The people who died of COVID have been disproportionately Latino and African American. And the people who've lost jobs because of COVID are disproportionately Latino, African American, women, and young people. So this has affected everyone, but it hadn't affected everybody equally. And so as we look at, at cures and, and treatments, and who's getting vaccinated and who isn't. We have to be really specific to deal with equity issues. It's very common in medicine, where, and frankly where this is probably demonstrated the most vividly is in issues of maternal mortality.
0: Yes, we did We did two podcasts on that.
10: And, and I'm sure people said exactly the same thing to you. I reported to my physician that this was the way I was feeling And, you know, uh, a white mom expecting mother reporting the same symptoms as an African-American expecting mother is more likely to get, oh, that's really a concern. How can we help? And then the the African-American expecting mom might get kind of fobbed off and if not completely dismissed, not taken as seriously, um, even in conditions that are very, very dire circumstances. So when you see that happening in something like the maternal mortality space, you can see the same thing. Somebody going in and saying, "Oh, I had COVID six months ago. And I'm still dealing with symptoms." In the in the profession, they may not be taken as seriously. Many report that they're not taken as seriously. So we have to, as we're you know undertaking getting the patient experiences and doing the research into causes and cures, and then getting information out. We have to build sort of an equity component into each of those three pieces because you can't discount. Um, folks experiences and you know and when you do and i'm sure you heard this in the maternal mortality space if i report to you an experience i have and then you discount it well okay well then i'll be less likely to report it to you the next time i'm in and it's sort of a vicious downward cycle where then you don't have as the provider the information you need to make good decisions there's not the trust that is built up that allow that allows for communication and then health outcomes get a lot worse so we, we have to have in, in both our research and our, uh, and our communication, we have to build in an awareness of these inequities or else the ha- health outcomes not only are disparate, but they get even wider mm-hmm. if we don't solve this.
0: Congressman Beyer has been working on at least one of these systemic issues, collecting accurate data. In January of this year, representatives Beyer and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts demanded better data from the CDC on long COVID's impact, specifically on women and minorities. So has the CDC been receptive to your request? Because it does seem that a a really fulsome research study is in order.
9: It's a a yes and no answer. I mean, yes, they've been friendly and open. Uh, On the other hand, they're a little overwhelmed. They're trying to keep some different um, research balls up in the air. As you know, they've been criticized for not being more forthcoming with some of their data. And of course, they have responded uh, Dr. Walensky and others that we don't want to get science out there that's not vetted, that could only be half right, and have people making the wrong decisions. Um, it, for an overwhelmed agency, I think they're trying to partner with this as best they can, but we've got to keep the pressure on.
0: Would you like to take a moment to convince this community that you are going to stay on it, Congressman, that they will not be forgotten, that you will do everything in your power to ensure that their suffering is taken seriously and the government can try to help?
9: Katie, yes, absolutely. We, we can't forget the long COVID folks who are going to be with us long after we stop wearing masks and everybody's back in school. Um, we need to continue to try to make Congress um, a more effective, faster-acting body. I don't think our founding mothers and fathers ever intended for it to be as glacial as it is right now. Uh, and there are many really good ideas out there about how to make it a more responsive legislative body. But in the meantime, while it is what it is, uh, people like Senator Kane and I and Congressman Jack Bergman, Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts, we need to just keep the pressure on as hard as we can.
0: A lot of long COVID sufferers are going to be listening to this podcast, Senator. In closing, what would you say to them?
10: Well, well, Katie, I mean, the first thing I'll say is, I believe you, and there's a lot of us up here who do, because we've had this experience. We believe both your experience of COVID, but we believe that these symptoms persist. Um, We are investing dollars now for a year in research to figure out what to do. And, and I would say maybe maybe the most powerful thing I could say is if you if you hang with us in this and you keep communicating, we'll not only figure out the answer for people who have long COVID, we're likely to figure out answers that will help people who have after effects of Lyme disease or, or other viruses or the other pandemics that are going to be coming you know down the highway in years to come. The study that we can do with people who have long COVID will not only help you, but they're gonna help a lot of other people who are gonna have, you know, who've either had COVID or gonna have the next virus that comes and that's why it's really important that we do this and we do this together. We can help a lot of people down the line if we if we stay focused.
0: That was Senator Tim Kaine and Congressman Don Beyer. Coming up, we'll have some final thoughts from our guests. don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder: Credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. Right here, right
1: now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next-day installation and all backed by the Right Price Guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
7: From BBC Radio
6: 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
7: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God.
4: that people are losing hope. I have concerns that people are being devastated financially and that we're not moving quickly enough to to soften that blow through policies. Uh, People are disabled and they don't know where to go to get uh, evaluated and to be able to get get the kind of support that they need.
3: When we talk about getting used to all of this, what it means is that we're getting used to a mass disabling event. We are getting used to people in their 20s and 30s effectively having their livelihoods shut off from them. People who cannot go back to work, whose careers are being ruined, who have to downsize their homes, selling their cars because they need to pay for medications. We are not seeing the urgency. The hardest part of all of this.
7: The uncertainty of it all.
6: The unknown. I mean, besides not knowing if and when it will ever end. The unknown physically is really feeling like there's no adult left in our family, in our life, to take care of us.
8: The unknown emotionally. It's really scary. The unknown of what my capacity is going to be like. uh, How am I going to operate in this world?
7: Most doctors that I talk to, all they can really tell you is that most people wake up and they feel better. Now, you know, 12 to 13 months in, it gets more into like, is this a forever thing? And nobody knows, nobody can give me an answer to that.
6: I don't know how long we could survive this, if this
7: is all it is.
4: What I try to do is to tell them to be to be brave.
0: Again, Dr. Harlan Krumholtz.
4: To hold on, because I, I do believe that, that it's a galvanizing moment where we can come together and try to learn quickly. And And look what happened with the vaccines. I mean, the vaccines did progress really rapidly. I know it's, it's something short of a, of a miracle that that happened. I mean, but people came together in a, in a concerted effort and tried to solve a problem. And what we need to do is try to, to do this similarly for long COVID. And, and again, in this case, I think it's within partnership with the patients. But, but I try to, to tell them that, look, th- this, this could be around the corner, that we could be able to get insights that really crack the case and help us figure out what to make, how to make their lives better. And so I think that that should light a fire under us to say that, yes, we need to be able to have some blood tests or some reflections of disturbances of the physiology that are leading this. We need to understand the underlying mechanisms. But there's another piece to this is which we have to trust people. We have to listen to them intently and we have to try to appreciate what it is that they're going through and and have uh, it be a call to action for us, not just something to dismiss. What we've learned is that the number one criteria that any medical professional can have for you is a concern about whether or not you make it. They have to care whether or not you're going to be okay, because if they don't, no amount of, you know, of credentials, no amount of of education or achievement is going to help you.
5: I know that we are all different and our experiences are different. But I am so proud to see how many long COVID patients with limited energy, limited money, limited resources have banded together to make people pay attention.
2: Two years into this, I'm finally ready to start. Start. I'm ready to talk about my story and experiences. I just refuse to accept that this
6: is where I'm at. So my goal is to be a nurse again. And, and I don't know. What that's going to look like, I don't know. If that means that I'm just going to be all better and cleared to go back to work 100%, or if I'll have to have some, you know, accommodations and limitations, I, I don't know what any of this means. I don't know what's next.
8: I don't know what's out there, but I'm not going to just sit here and do nothing. I see myself in the future climbing Machu Picchu. I have had, uh, and when I was in the hospital, they have this incentive spirometer, and I I wanted to climb. Uh, Machu Picchu and I took a video and I said this is my Machu Picchu and I continue this, to think of this entire journey as my mountain and it goes up and down so I'm trying to still get to the top and so along that way I'd like to see change happen policy-wise as far as healthcare access and affordability for uh, chronic illness in marginalized communities. And I'd like to just be someone who can be impactful and, and effectful or yeah, affect change and support. Knowing that there are others that are suffering
10: worse than I am, um, just makes me want to be almost a voice and an advocate in any way I can be um, for better care, better standards, better health
5: care, um, in this country to help us get through this. I'm proud of myself. And so that's what gives me glimmers of hope. I do this so that people who look like me never have to experience as much as possible what I experienced.
4: As much as we're hearing people will try will, will would prefer to talk about COVID in the past tense, you know, is the truth is it's not over just because we're over it. <laughs> what makes COVID such a perfect teacher is the fact that it's not gonna stop.
2: I hope someone with the power to change something is listening.
0: Thank you to all of our long COVID patients who spent time and energy they didn't have sharing their stories. You've heard from Deepa Singh, Ryan Mason and Janine Hayes, Shamir L. Smith, Liza Fisher, Rebecca Hogan, and Jack Guest. And thank you as well to Dr. Harlan Krumholz and Dr. Akiko Iwasaki of Yale University, and to Diana Barrant, of course, of Survivor Corps. If you're suffering from long COVID symptoms and are looking for help, you can start with support groups like Survivor Corps and Body Politic. We'll have links to those and others in our description. For everyone out there listening, you can do your part to get long COVID sufferers some care and attention. Just call your local representative and ask them to urgently pass the CARE Long COVID Act. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you want to see and hear from some of the long COVID patients we spoke to, head to my YouTube channel for their stories. And a huge thank you to Lauren Hansen on our team, our producer who puts so much time and energy into telling these stories. Thank you, Lauren. Next question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecurick.com. You can also find me at katiecouric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Or wherever you listen to your favorite shows
1: right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee
8: WORK.